He's my friend. So was I. Welcome to the MCU Gauntlet, the podcast unlike any other MCU podcast. Our gauntlet takes us on a journey from Captain America, the first Avenger, all the way to Spider-Man Far From Home. Along the way, we break down each film and ultimately rank the film within the 23 MCU films we have to date. I'm your host, Luke Shoemaker, and with me, as always, is Graham Team Cap Thomas. Graham, we finally made it. In terms of action battle sequences, where does the airport scene or that final climax fight rank for you well i'll go but I'll, I'll go i'll say a little bit about both of those um the airport scene is definitely fun i mean that's you know a huge draw in the movie is the whole airport scene and but you know as far as intensity and you know action sequences it's got so many lighthearted moments in it that i think that loses some of the the viciousness of what they're trying to do you know, beating each other to death. So it's fun, but I don't know that it ranks up there with, with some of the best. Um, the end though, with uh, our man cap and Bucky versus Tony, it has to go right up there with some of the great battles like in Avengers or in game. Um, I wouldn't exactly put it, in their category though it, it, it falls somewhere somewhere below that i think yeah well i think maybe they tied some of that into the airport airport scene because i forgot how uh like when natasha and hawkeye are fighting and they're like we're still friends right or right. you're pulling punch you know those type of comments it's like it had to, it would have been tough for the characters within that universe so opening thoughts information, it's going to blow your mind. It's state tournament time, and the Panther soccer teams were given a vote between this and Jungle Book, and guess what they chose. I can neither deny or confirm that head coach Britt Crenshaw went to watch Civil War and made his faithful assistant watch Jungle Book with the girls and boys soccer team but I was in a theater watching Jungle Book with the girls and boys soccer team. I it just it was it was incredible to think about the long tradition and yet we broke it that time. Which Jungle Book's great, but I had to go to Civil War the following weekend. Uh, so, so when it came out May the sixth, I don't know why I didn't go opening night. I think May thirteenth would have been when we went and watched Jungle Book, or May twelfth, I guess. So the weekend when both teams are crowned state champs. I go and watch it, and wow, it was like watching another Avengers movie. Uh, but this time, it tore you apart, and it was like this gut punch. Uh, you know, great action. The politics part of it's great. The infighting, I actually do enjoy because any great team has some moments of that. Um, it's all orchestrated so well, too. Now, I will say, being the Tony Stark fan that I am, the first time I watched it, I was a little, I was a little ticked off. I was also a little ticked off, and you you talk about it a little later on. Kind of strayed from the source of origin, uh, but I still thought it was a good movie. And then I rewatch. I'm gonna say, I still understand Tony's point of view based upon everything that's happened, and I still understand some of his motivations. But in terms of the movie itself, it's shot so well. The action set pieces are brilliant. 
The battle sequences are great. And, and it, what it does best is phasing in lines for each character and the development of these characters. I've never seen an introduction as far as Spider-Man and Black, and Black Panther that was so great. Um, you know, Maybe some of the best, like I said, easily top three in that regard. But such a bummer we didn't get to watch it in El Dorado. So um, my question is, um, how come y'all couldn't run like one shift goes to see Civil War and one shift goes to see Jungle Book? You had enough coaches. And I, I don't think we wanted them straying. I can't remember exactly why that was our plan. I think actually part of that had to do with uh, what time they were playing. So we wanted them back at the hotel um, a, you know, a decent hour because the semifinals were the next day at, uh, I think, 10 and 12. or Yeah, 10 and 12. And we wanted to get them back to the hotel. And I think the run times, however it added up, we did not go watch it. But uh, uh, maybe someone you know, you and I both know, he did, in fact, go watch it. Well... I can tell you the exact day I went and saw this movie, and it's it's a little interesting. A day I'll never forget. Um, I had not planned on going to see Captain America on May the sixth, its opening day, because it was really a busy busy afternoon um, for uh, for my line of work. We had, as you know, they like to schedule. Um, and if Alma had soccer at the time, I'm sure they would have done this. But they like to schedule everything on the same night. So we had baseball, softball going at the same time in very important games. And um, we had another guy on our staff at the paper at that point. And so I sent him into the softball game and uh, I went to the baseball game. And I show up to the baseball park only to learn that the baseball gaffer had been in a four wheeler accident that day. How terrible! Um, and they had to take him to the hospital, and I'm over here scrambling, trying to figure out what's going on with a million bajillion parents in my ear to tell me their version of the story of what happened. Um, we finally get a baseball game played, and the Panthers proceed to get themselves down four zip before rallying for a stirring 7-4 victory. The fighting Craig Cowarts, the, uh, the assistant coach uh, coaching in relief that day, I think uh, Johnny and uh, Coach Pip were in the dugout too, helping out with a little uh, assist there. Um, but what a day! Softball beat Alma that day. It was a, it was a, a sweep of the Airedales, and uh, but boy, you know the the whole accident thing, and it just made it a real stressful thing. And by the end of the day, I just needed a break, and so. I head on over to the Asylum 6 to the late show for Civil War. And I was really excited about this movie. Coming off Winter Soldier, Guardians, Ant-Man, uh, Age of Ultron, there was no reason for this movie to not be great. Except for me on the first night, it just, it wasn't. And I don't know if it was because of the day I'd had or maybe anything else that was going on. You know, my phone was blowing up in the theater with text messages and to me, the movie just fell flat that night. And I say it's me because ever since then, I've watched it several times and it's just gotten better and better and better. And now I just, I can't get enough of it. 
So, I mean, I haven't have it, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll give you my final rankings later on, but it's in the upper echelons and, um, you know, it's tough to watch at times these heroes, you know, especially Tony and, and Cap ripping each other apart, but I think it's easy to relate on both fronts. And, um, you know, the, I think the viewer has to choose a side somewhat and how could anyone not side with Cap, it? And, uh, do you like being told what to do and how ungrateful is Thunderbolt Ross and the government toward our guys? And after seeing this, I picked up a copy of the graphic novel, which I got here, just pulled it out and uh, read it. It's very different, um, but still really good. And I could see why they wanted this movie. And on the, on the, the most recent rewatch just a couple nights ago, I reaffirmed what I already thought that the movie wants, almost wants to make Tony Stark the villain here. And notice it's not called Iron Man's Civil War. And uh, I believe this is very intentional with the events that follow down in, with, with Avengers Endgame. So yeah, it's, it's incredible to me as far as writing goes. So in the universe to this point, Tony Stark has been the rebel, the, you know, here, here's read these note cards and do this. Nope. I'm just going to tell everyone I'm Iron Man or, you know, don't do this. And he does the exact opposite. He's always been the, you know, spying on shield and Avengers with his little program. He's always been this one that he goes against the grain. You know, he's this wild card. It's always his thing. And then you have cap. Who's the ultimate soldier who's all about, you know, chain of command and following orders. And it's such a shift in the dynamic. I think that's what makes it such an incredible watch. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a definitely a role reversal. It kind of bothers me seeing Tony Stark wanting to be so obedient to the rules and regulations. It just doesn't, it doesn't smell right. Well, he's been so, he's been so traumatized from New York to Ultron, to something that's not even discussed. Well, the woman who shows up at the beginning, um, which shout out to the woman who plays Amanda Waller, I believe that's who it is from Suicide Squad, rolls over into this universe. Viola Davis, I think yes. is her name. But so that event really stirs them about the kid, but they don't even talk about that him and Pepper, I mean, they talk about it, they don't show anything. They broke up. So his heart's been broke. He goes through all these things. I think he's having his version of a midlife crisis right in front of our eyes. Yeah. And I've always kind of wondered, did, you know, did, did they not want to pay pepper? Is that why they, they temporarily broke up for this movie? There was, there was that that extra 15 million. It was either a financial thing or more so from when reading into getting into some research, a shooting schedule thing, like not being able to get her in. So, they break up off screen and they get back together off screen, and which is in a, a very wild, um, as far as the universe goes. Because I think the next time we see her, he's proposing to her. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, you know, I think we talked about it. You know, her role is just kind of less and less from here on out. She's yep. very minor. Well, we'll get right into some of the details. Released May 6, 2016, domestically brings in $408 million, eighth all-time in the MCU. 
and an astounding $745 million worldwide or internationally. So worldwide, it brings the total to $1.1 billion, billion with a B, dollars. This is a blockbuster if I mean, in every sense of the word. I mean, you know, you could have – I know we're, we're missing Thor and, and Hulk, but you could have called it just easily an Avengers movie. It, it had that feel to it. Yeah, and it was better than the Avengers movie we got right close before it. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, so we'll get into cast. We won't dive too much into all of our, um, you know, traditional um characters that have constantly uh, been you know coming up in these movies so we'll we have some introductions though we get black panther in the universe with chadwick boseman first three movies I ever watched him in and they're all they were all sports movies there was the express it's a story about ernie davis there was 42 and then there was draft day but wow 42 man i i i thought it was great he's great I thought it's a baseball movie that deserved to be made for the cultural impact. He's also really good as James Brown in the biopic Get On Up. He's played King T'Challa four times now, and he's going to reprise that role. Who knows how many more times? Obviously, Black Panther 2, the next wave of Avengers. I think he's kind of reached a superstar status in Hollywood when it comes to action movies with like 21 Bridges, The Five Bloods. I love him as this noble Black Panther. And in this movie, he adds such like a somberness to this like heartbroken warrior prince, now king. The moment with Hawkeye where he's like, yeah, hey, I'm Clint Barton. He's like, I don't care. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> um, and I love him as Black Panther. He just goes through such a process and change just in this movie. And then he goes through even more so in his own solo film. Crazy fact for you. Chadwick Boseman was born in 1977. Can you wow. believe? Can you believe that? I mean, just four years older than me. He look, I'm. He. I thought he was. I thought he was even younger than me when I first saw him in the <laughs> in 42. You know, I. It never dawned on me that he was the guy who played Jackie Robinson until I was doing some research, and you know, because. The role, the role he plays as Jackie Robinson, sounds and looks nothing like his role as Black Panther. So he's got some versatility, you know. And of the the three sports movies you mentioned, Forty Two is the only one of those that I've seen. I as, for for such a Kevin Costner fan that I am, I need to see Draft Day. It's as a sports fan, you are going to hate some of the plot, but yes, if you like Kevin Costner sports movies, give it a watch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a stud as we, we say in the business and, um, you know, whenever they release Black Panther two, it's going to be huge. Um, he, he's, you know, those movies are gonna be a big draw from here on out. If, if the first one's any indication, Black Panther's the only MC, I mean, it got nominated for best picture. It, it, people felt so strongly about. we'll discuss our thoughts on it more when we get there, but a large part has to be with him combined with, you know, the villain from that about Tom Holland as Spider-Man. You know, I'm going to say, yeah, I did see it. I don't remember him in, in the heart of the sea. I know he was in it and I can kind of think back, oh yeah, yeah, but 
that was more Chris Hemsworth. And, you know, boom, he's going to be Spider-Man. For me, Spider-Man is an iconic figure. I'm, I, before I talk about some of the thing, some of my points about him and his career, but when you were a, a younger man, was Spider-Man your favorite? I mean, as far as the cartoons went, it was one that I watched constantly. It was one of my fa- he was one of my favorite superheroes. No, it wasn't for me. Um, the The Spider-Man cartoon. When when would you say that that came out? Uh, I know the one I would watch on. I think maybe Fox is the one who put it out. Would have been around when X Men, the cartoon series, was on. Saturday. So like, I remember when Egg, when X Men, and Batman the animated series all kind of made their way onto Fox right around the same time. Yeah, and Spider Man came after that, and I was just you know it just aged out a little too much. I think. Gotcha. Um, the biggest impact Spider Man ever had for me was when the Tobey Maguire movie came out in two thousand one or two whatever it was and was such a huge smashing success yeah um you know and it was a great movie i mean i you know i i still to this day really enjoy the the toby Maguire spider-man trilogy really more so the first two than the third one yeah. um but the first one despite how goofy willem dafoe looks as the green goblin is is terrific and um you know, and I questioned when they rebooted, you know, why they needed to reboot. And then when they rebooted that one, I was like, well, why are they rebooting that one? That's the guy playing Spider-Man is doing a good job. Yeah, uh, but then I saw Tom Holland and I'm like, whoa, that's why they rebooted. <laughs> yeah, they had to get it right is what I keep thinking because of what you just said. You had two different Spider-Men, you know, within like almost a decade of each other. If you go from Spider-Man 3 to uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. And I think for me, Peter, Tom Holland is Peter Parker. Is everything that Peter Parker was supposed to be. Like this young man trying to not only fight bad guys, but he's fighting puberty and adolescence at the same time while trying to figure out what it means to be a hero. And, you know, there's a comic arc where there's this like superhero from the future who comes back and in that and I can't remember which one it's from and the guy essentially says that in the future Spider-Man is known as not only the most honored hero but the strongest to have ever lived what a statement uh, every time I see Tom Holland on screen though he, he hits home run and I think it's something with that there's something about British actors with it like theater background that can just dive into anything because outside the mcu he's in the current war with cumberbatch and he's only 24 and he's already played spider-man five times he's gonna play him again i don't know if you watched onward the disney animated movie i thought he was you know his you can immediately know it's him he's got two more movies coming out where he'll be able to show off his diverse range with a very different tone but he's so he's so lovable as Spider-Man, right? Like, I don't know how someone could watch this and be like, ah, I don't like that guy. Yeah, but it's just about time for another reboot, isn't it? So, <laughs> okay, let's go right there. Who's who? I mean, is she is he your favorite though? You know, I mean, I know my heart was attached to Tobey Maguire back then, but now you know, and we'll discuss it in Homecoming. It's it's Tom Holland. For I me. think I think so. I think my favorite is Tom Holland. Um, you know, 
I like Toby Maguire in the first two, and the third one he was just a little weird. That you know, it was just a little goofy. Whole thing was weird. <laughs> um, but the first one, you know, I mean, hats off Toby Maguire. I mean, they, you know they 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 brought Spider Man to life, and yeah. um, I remember watching an old like seventies TV show too, live action show that was a Spider Man. It was terrible, but um. Spider-Man's fun, you know. Oh, yeah. And Little kids love him. My nephew loves him. You got to hand it for Sony to, you know, for finally being able to crack through on the big screen with it because for so long there was no Spider-Man movie. And, you know, then Sony and, and Marvel come together to, to make it happen to have Spider-Man in the Civil War. And, you know, what's crazy is I remember in the trailer, you know, the airport scene when they're all lined up, they had edited out spider-man or digitally put him in the movie scene where they they have them all lined up and because he was gonna be a surprise up until you know a certain point you know my my heart got crushed a little bit when it was a few uh months ago when they're like oh you know we can't reach an agreement with with marvel and sony anymore so uh, spider-man's back with sony and then they came to their senses and and reevaluated things and now he's gonna be back so it would have crushed I mean, phase four to not have him as part of the arc. You know, and, you know, good thing common sense prevailed there for yeah. sure. Lots of money to be made. Um, our villain, or one of our villains, uh, Daniel Bruhl as Zemo, this German actor, he's playing in two big, really big movies that I really not only enjoy the movie, but also his, his role in it. Inglorious Bastards, uh, the Quentin Tarantino film, and then Rush. I don't know if you've seen Rush. Uh, he's opposite of Hemsworth. It's a you know it, it centers around two like Formula One indie racers. I think it's a really underrated film, and and he does he's fantastic in it. He has some action experience with Bourne movies, but what a great villain! Or at least for me, how he delivers his lines, how almost. He's like almost a sociopath. He's so un, he has no sympathy for anyone around him, but he has like this touch of charm when he's talking to people. It's perfect for the character, and I love that they big spoiler alert they didn't kill him off because he's about to show up in a big big way when they do uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier coming to Disney Plus. Like he's oh, even going to don the iconic. Uh, purple like ski mask that Zemo wore <laughs> in comics. Oh, um, yeah, you're probably not gonna like me in a little bit. Be my guess. On my, I'll just leave my my Zemo. You know, I I'm not saying he did a bad job or anything. Just the character doesn't do a whole lot for me. Well, I got, we'll have a big argument. I'm sure I can already tell where this is uh, leading. And I'll, uh, I'll let us both explain our sides. Uh, director, it's the Russos. Again, we've talked about them numerous times. In terms of action sequences, is Winter Soldier still the best for them? Is it something down the line? What about, I'm not saying which movie, but solely fighting in action sequences. I, I think Winter Soldier is. I was thinking about this, you know, the the action scenes and cinematography in Civil War is real her, herky jerky, you know. Um, I don't know if they're doing it that way to to make it look faster, or but especially that opening sequence when you know they're fighting in Nigeria. Um, 
it just it's very you know the camera is just moving all over the place I, I know that was done on purpose um but what they did in the winter soldier was just so good with the with the action sequences i, I just i don't think this one you know hits that same home run that winter soldier did yeah, and we talked about it a lot on that pod. Uh, the writers, it's Marcus and McPhilly again. Um, I thought in terms of overall plot, how they their version of adapting the novel that you talked about was very interesting, but pretty creative. I thought it was, I mean, don't get, I, I, I'm trying to remember. Have you read this? That is more, yes. It's more of, is it the Mutant Act? It's not called the Sokovia Accords, obviously. What was it called? The superhero oh, act or something? God, like, I'd have to something along those lines. And um, you know, for them to take some source material and adapt it in a very—I uh, mean—it drives the plot for everything down the road in a really big way for setting up another movie they wrote in Infinity War. Yeah. Uh... You know, the I I can't remember. I'd have to go back and read the comic. It's fun. It's a, it's a fun read. Um, but uh, yeah, everything's got a plan. You know, everything's got a plan. And one one other group in this that I just remember, you know, you can see this right here. The Fantastic Four. You know, we're in a, we're a big part of this as well. So. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a larger, larger universe for sure. Yeah, the X Men and all of them, you know. So, um, if you're a diehard on the comic, you know the movie might disappoint you a little bit. Oh, uh, and and there's a sequel to it as well. There's there's Civil War two. Yeah, I don't have that one, and I I read there were some rumors about what maybe what happens to Steve Rogers in one of these sequels. I don't know if I'd be able to take so. be able to handle it yeah. I might just buy it and i own that copy because of what happens in that one so uh trivia night this first one is the best it's <laughs> it's unbelievable so the night before filming the fight scene with robert downey jr sebastian stan sent him a video of himself doing intense bicep curls in front of a decapitated head of an iron man suit he attached the message Looking forward to our scene tomorrow, Robert. Incredible. That's pretty good. That's <laughs> – I just love that outside – you know, we sometimes forget that these are people too. They can have bonds and, you know, mess around, workplace humor. Um, yeah. I like how they cast Spider-Man. So the role – so the, the finalists, they did separate screen tests. They did some with Chris Evans and some with Robert Downey Jr. The intent was seeing – where chemistry fit the best. Can you imagine a scenario where the chemistry fit better with Steve Rogers, Chris Evans, and that's the route they went with homecoming? I or mean, with this movie, it'd be this movie. It would have to be, he'd be on cap side. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. We had that one little sequence there with Spider-Man and Captain America at the, at the airport. And I don't know that we have really any interaction with them after that. 
I'd have to go back and watch uh, Endgame, but there's really not a whole lot. No, I, I, I think there's a, there's a, they liken back to the queen, hey, queens, and he like throws him the, throws him, I don't know if it's the gauntlet or something, but they use those nicknames, queens or Brooklyn. Um, but yeah, there's not the, there's not the big emotional attachment for sure that we get to see. Not like he gets with Stark. That's, no. that's for no. sure. Uh, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackey, upon filming wrapping up, they decided, and once again, apparently Sebastian Stan's just really competitive because they raced each other <laughs> in their superhero suits. I wish oh, I want funny. the footage of that. I'm I don't who I don't know who wins, but I would love to see that. Um, we've get we've got one where Tom Hiddleston confessed that even though he didn't appear in the film. It contained one of his favorite moments of the MCU. And we're, for our listeners, we're talking about this, the guy who plays Loki. He said the helicopter scene, he goes, I mean, Chris Evans does a bicep curl with a helicopter. If you don't <laughs> that, be friends. I'm telling you that we'll, we'll get to it later. And then the last one we talked about writing, uh, Christopher Marcus and, and Stephen McFeely, they had a vastly different, smaller film without other Avengers in it. But Kevin Feige, he suggested to adapt, uh, that they adapt Civil War instead. I wonder what their version looked like. Uh, it still, it still can't, uh, had Zemo, and it still had an emphasis on Stephen Bucky's relationship, but I wonder um, how much different that film would have looked. I mean, there's no telling, right? Right, it could, I mean, very open-ended by them. Uh, obviously, they would have explored how to get Bucky unbrainwashed, but um, pretty interesting and trivia there. What What I wonder is what made them, you know, want to go ahead and pull the trigger and do Civil War. You know, they could have waited. You know, they could have waited to see if if it would pan out one day to get you know X Men and Fantastic Four and get them all in there. Right, but um. Which- I can't even imagine. I thought there were a lot of people in in Endgame, yet alone if they actually did a full Civil War. So, I mean, but, you know, there's still opportunity to to blend those universes, and I think they will. Oh, yeah. But it may be a different, you know, it's not going to be the the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man or the the Chris Evans Steve Rogers. It's going to be something different. You know, the only way they could do that is to reboot it, I guess. And I don't think anybody wants to see that. No, let's not start from scratch again. On the plot, 1991, Bucky Barnes. He's brainwashed. He's super soldier. Uh, and, you know, he gets brought out of his little hibernation. Car, he causes his car to crash, recovers bags of a serum. Uh, that's obviously super soldier serum. So we get to see that someone figured it out. Um, after the, you know, the Avengers have defeated Ultron, Thor and ha and the Hulk are gone. Hawkeye, he's basically retired. And, you know, even Iron Man at the end of that was like, I'm done. Uh, you've got Captain America, Black Widow. They're leading this new team of Avengers and it's got Scarlet Witch. Uh, it's got War Machine, Vision, Falcon. Uh, but we get to see that team in Lagos, in Lagos, Nigeria, with, without vision. We'll get in that later. And they're tracking the movements of a guy from Winter Soldier with Brock Rumlow as Crossbones, or at least we get to f- figure out that he's Crossbones. 
Uh, if you might remember him as one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, that's obviously Hydra in Winter Soldier. And he's essentially, he's trying to get this, um, you know, this is going to the infectious disease center there in Lagos to uh, steal some virus, a contagious virus that's in there. And uh, our heroes try to stop him. And, you know, we get to see a fun sequence of everyone showing off their abilities. We get to see uh, Hawkeye, or not Hawkeye, but Falcon with his little red wing. Uh, <laughs> you know, we get to see some ch fun chases, some fun, uh, you know, like we practice and hurling, you know, Steve into the place. And, you know, eventually, uh, you know, Crossbones and Cap go one-on-one. -on -one. Cap, of course, gets the upper hand, pins him against the wall. Crossbone tells him that, you know, Bucky cried out, hey, that he remembers him. And that distracts Cap just enough that Crossbones goes to trigger a bomb to kill them both. Cap braces, but Scarlet Witch is able. She contains the blast. Uh, using some of her power, she throws it up in the air, but she only gets it high enough that it smashes into a hotel nearby. The explosion rips through the hotel. Uh, Wanda falls down, you know, in, in tears, devastated, while Cap calls for fire and rescue. Just a very intense, like, like a lot of movies we've seen with Avengers-type characters, Ultron started the same way. They try to start off with them on a mission. Yeah, big, big action sequence, jump right in. You know, a lot of movies are doing that anymore. Let's just jump right into it, you know? Yeah. And instead of slowly leading into it, and you know that works um it's a good scene uh the the you know the, the action sequences are as said, not like winter soldiers but they're still pretty dang good um got a lot of humor there with the, some of the inside jokes with um you know with uh romanoff and some of the things she says about red wing and um and yeah, then you you know, it kind of ends with that raw emotion there from Wanda. I mean, that that was just perfect. Yeah, you know, she is devastated by what what happened. Yeah, I mean, she just murdered people. Uh, well, I'll get to that later. So we get to see Tony. He's, uh, it you know, it, it we we see like what appears to be almost like a flashback, and there's this video playing, and we get to see this scene a little later on as a flashback in a different movie. Um, but in the scene, you know, Tony, it's like this last day with his parents where he didn't get to say goodbye. It turns out it's just this, uh, pr computer program called barf. Um, and then Tony's in front of a crowd there in MIT and he says he's going to fund all their projects. Uh, he goes out to, goes to, to find the bathroom or go to the elevator. Uh, and when he gets to an elevator, there's a woman there and he all of a sudden he notices that she's been waiting there, but she hasn't pushed the elevator button. So she reaches in her purse. He thinks, Oh no, you know, he tries to stop her, but turns out yeah. she's just getting a picture of her son who'd been killed in Sokovia crushed by a building that the Avengers had knocked down on him. Um, he's definitely always already. You can tell he's still paranoid, constantly paranoid. Well, and you knew something was wrong too when he's reading the teleprompter and it starts, you know, mentions, you know, Pepper and he doesn't say anything about Pepper. He just kind of pauses and there's that look in his eye, right? Like, you know, yeah. something isn't right with Tony at this point. For a man that is not short on words, in that moment, he almost screws up and 
public speaking, which is something he never does. Um, at the Avengers headquarters, though, the team's watching news footage of their mission. The report is 11 people were killed. Um, and Steve blames himself because he let his guard down. Uh, Vision tells Steve that Tony has arrived, and he brought Secretary of State. Dun, dun, dun. Thaddeus Ross is back. He's the Secretary of State now. Uh, yeah, you may remember him, listeners. He's the man that was in the Hulk, and they even brought back. So he hasn't been in the universe in years, eight years to be exact. He comes back. Uh, and Ross tells him that some people, you know, look to him as heroes, but others look at him as vigilantes. And he shows a very propaganda-like version of the events that have happened in the universe as regards to New York, um, Sokovia, you know, you name it. And he basically tells them, he puts this document down, 117 countries are going to ratify what's called the Sokovia Accords. And the Accords state that the Avengers will operate under a panel supervision with the UN. This is their meeting in Vienna in three days. And if they don't sign it, they have to retire. This, this what a start to the movie. I mean, if your blood's not boiling watching this scene, you know. Capture as uh, heck was because that's enough. <laughs> it's you know, so scene. ungrateful. And he even starts off as like, you know, we, we owe you an unpayable debt. Yeah, if they had not intervened, what would have happened? <laughs> right, what's the what's the death toll at type thing? Yeah. So you know, it just really doesn't doesn't rub a guy the right the right way on that scene. I don't know. I just it doesn't make sense to me how is how shocked they all are. If 117 countries have already been discussing it and they put together what looks to be a King James Bible version of a bill, how did none of them know this was happening? There's, there's well, two of them are spies in that room. You would think that they are, you know, have some idea or one of them at least is a spy. It's just very shocking. So the team spends hours debating whether to agree to the courts. Tony shows them, of course, the picture of the young man from Sokovia. Uh, Steve kind of asks what will happen. Uh, you know, what, 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 what if they want to, don't want to, you know, he brings up his good points. What if we want to go somewhere and they tell us no, or they want us to go somewhere that we don't want to go, you know, that, that, that doesn't make sense to him. Uh, and eventually Steve leaves right after he gets a message that Peggy Carter has died and he goes to attend her funeral and then boom, turns out shield agent 13 is in fact Peggy Carter's niece, Sharon, who you may have remembered from winter soldier. Steve, yep. she, they, 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 she and Steve share a moment. And after the service, uh, you know, there's some attraction there. There's a little bit of a uh, chemistry, uh, Next day, Natasha finds Steve, tells him that she, Tony, James Rhodes, and Vision had signed on with Clint and Wanda holding out. We're starting to see a schism. Now, didn't she didn't she tell him that at the funeral? Maybe though? as she goes up to him at the altar. Yes, she goes up yeah. to him at the altar, talks to him there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, here, you know, probably not the news he wanted to hear while he's mourning his, you know, his love, Peggy Carter right there at the in the church right um that is of note for our listeners that sam is uh there with him and you know his boy sam is his other best friend obviously if he if he confides in him to even come to that funeral with him yeah and 
Yeah, you know, I never really thought about that dynamic, but you know, here we are chasing after his other best friend, and yet Sam is his best friend, and you know, they can't seem to get along. I never really thought about it from that perspective. Um, you know, I was thinking about the scene where they're in the car in Germany, and he's like, <laughs> "Can you move your seat up a little bit?" No, no. <laughs> it's a, it's that's why I asked you on Winter Soldier. I think Bucky's a little jealous because, you know, Sam's right there. He's getting close in the friend rankings. <laughs> in Vienna, several heads of state have gathered. You know, they're going to ratify the accords. Uh, Natasha meets the Prince of Wakanda, T'Challa, and his father, King T'Chaka. Uh, you know, Wanda, Wakanda, uh, of course, that's where Black Panther's from. Um, it's where the vibranium is from, you know, that builds like Captain America shield or Ultron's, you know, body. Um, and obviously that some of the victims from Lagos, they were Wakandans, uh, T'Chaka takes the podium for the keynote address and, you know, it's things got start to get a little fishy. You see t'challa kind of looking around he sees the car he goes to save his dad but boom explosion boom t'chaka's dead we've got i mean we this is just non-stop on the pace of this movie yeah i mean you're you know you kind of feel like you've been through the ringer after being in this one kind of like winter soldier i mean it's you know it's not a light watch that's for sure oh no uh steve sam and sharon see some news footage showing the destruction of Vienna security footage uh, pins it on Bucky and Sharon gets a text and tells Steve she has to go to work. Uh, takes a military military plan to Vienna. Uh, and you know, T'Challa, he's absolutely beside himself. You would have think at this moment, if you're Natasha, maybe this guy is another person that's like a superhero. Cause he's like, I'm going to handle this myself. Not very like normal Prince talk. Um, you know, we get to see uh, some insight into how Sharon feels about Steve. Cause she gives up all the information she has to him to allow him to kind of maybe get to Bucky first. Um, it just, you know, I I'm with you when we get to the questions later on this whole Sharon, this whole Carter thing. I don't know what it, Seems pretty intense in those scenes. Yeah. Um, I I actually enjoy the kind of the aftermath part of the destruction there where everybody, you know, Romanoff is there talking to T'Challa. Um, you know, she gets on the phone with the Rogers. They get to they get to Berlin or Vienna pretty quick. Yeah. Um, they're in London and all yeah. of a sudden they're there on the scene, you know in the aftermath of all this and you know natasha basically warns rogers on the phone that you know don't get involved and of course you know good luck with that you know, you know she's in a weird spot the whole movie you know and and she's one where i'm like why did you sign the accords you know why she understands your... i think she's about that oversight piece that even they need to be checked at times i think that's where her head's kind of at Obviously yeah. not because she has to change her far. In Bucharest, uh, you know, Bucky picks up a newspaper, sees accused. Uh, you know, Steve goes to Bucky's apartment. Bucky walks in. They kind of talk about, 
you know, some of his memories or some of the things. But right before they can have a good connection, boom, the GSG-9 German military task force comes in. And what an intense scene. You're blocking bullets. We're throwing shields at people. We're jumping off buildings. Black Panther's flying in. The first time we ever get to see Black Panther. And when he shoots that. The, the stairwell scene where they're fighting, you know, going um, down the stairs. That's That was pretty fun. He talks about not wanting to kill any of them, yet some of the hits those guys took, I can't imagine they lived. <laughs> How did you feel the first time you see Black Panther and then the scraping of the claws on the shield? I thought that was, I, know, I guess, like, it's kind of like diamond scratching diamond, like two of the hardest things in the world banging against each other. Oh, I, I don't know. Um I knew so very little about about Black Panther at that time and still don't know really a whole lot other than what I've seen in the movies. Um, I, you know, I don't know that I really had an opinion one way or the other. How did you feel? I mean, I thought it was interesting because, you know, you think about, I just thought that scene in itself was interesting because you think about all the things that have hit Steve Shield. And, I mean, I know they're the <laughs> same material, but you, that's when you immediately are like, yeah, gosh dang, his whole thing's vibranium because he sh just, I mean, and they make a point even at the very last shot of the shield to show the metal claw marks on it. I thought that was a, a really a really good creative choice. Oh, yeah. I mean. That and the fact the, that he the can. The sound of the screeching just, oh. The fact that he runs so fast and the chase scene that, would, that ensues, you know, Steve hops in a car to chase them. I think Bucky rips a motorcycle out of someone's hand or like just yeah, he catches it and swings onto it in one motion. It's an, an incredible insane. But then the black Panther is just like running 60 miles per hour. It's, it's that's when so, I was like, this dude's fast. I'd like to go back and watch the, how they film that scene because you know, they, they, these guys are just flying by vehicles and the, on, the, on the highway and right. And the Russos don't really like to use a lot of CG. So a lot of it has to be stunt work. Obviously, well, grabbing a motorcycle. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, it, <laughs> I mean, go back and watch that part again where he, where he catches it and, you know, swings it around and hops on it all in one motion. It's, it's impressive. Eventually, their entire chase leads to being surrounded by the GSG-9 and War Machine who flies in and says, you know, congratulations, you're now criminals. Both Bucky and Steve are arrested, and then when the Black Panther mask is removed, boom, Prince T'Challa of Wakanda is the Black Panther. No surprise there. No surprise. I mean, were... yeah, they wouldn't have put Bozeman in the movie, and in fact, I think they show Black Panther in the trailer. Um on the ride to the task force headquarters in Berlin, you know, Cap tells the prince that he has the wrong man. Uh, Cap Falcon, the prince, get I love that scene because he's like, what's Sam say? So you're into cats, and that whole sequence is, is fun. <laughs> uh, they're met by Everett Ross, not to be confused with Thunderbolt Ross. This is played by Martin Freeman. He's the leader of the headquarters where they're at. The men have to check in all of their weapons. This is the shield, the Falcon stuff, and Black Widow's there. Everett takes Prince T'Challa into his own room. The others are led away. Tony tells the Secretary Ross he wants to have them all prosecuted. 
Uh, Tony says that that is a, is a compromise and that, you know, they won't get the show back and all that stuff is government property. Um, you know, that's, you really start to see that, you know, this things are going off the rail here quick for our group. Yeah. Um, is that the same scene where he pulls out the set of pin, the FDR pins? Uh, about, uh, we're Rogers. getting, we're, we're, we're almost there. We talk, they talk about how Bucky's going to go with T'Challa to Wakanda. He's going to face charges of terrorism. Uh, Bucky's going to be evaluated for his mental condition by a psychologist. And then yes, Tony cap, the two pins, you know, he wants to sign the accords together. Um, but I think it's the, the, the Wanda stuff is what sets Steve off. Right. Yeah, where you know she's just a kid and all that. You know, you learn a lot about your characters in those scenes. So I mean, you see, you know, so much of the action sequences, but when they're sitting down, sort of, you know, I think Tony and Cap generally, you know, sometimes don't like each other. But there's also sort of a, there's always it's good to see you, Tony. I think you hear that two or three times in the in that in the movie. You know, where they're trying to go out of their way to be nice to each other. And yet they just can't hide their distaste for the way each other operates. Yeah, they're you know? very they're very different. We talked about some of their differences early on. Uh, Tony, you know, like you said, he tries to say she's not a U.S. citizen, and they won't give her a visa. You know, he's trying his best at what he believes in, but Steve's not having it. So she doesn't deserve to be in prison. Leaves without signing. Heartbreaking moment. Uh, Hawkeye. He breaks into the facility where, where, you know, Vision is basically holding Scarlet Witch hostage after trying, basically like conning her. Uh, he attacks Vision, unable to hurt him. Scarlet Witch, though, she uses her powers to like push him through the floor, essentially, and they both escape. Um, then they're kind of setting up WandaVision right here four years earlier than when WandaVision's going to come out with their little romance that's kind of budding. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a unique romance since he is a it's, you know artificial life. Where he's a AI. It's different. It gets even weirder as we as we go on. Yeah, but yeah. When, yeah. Anyway, Colonel Zemo. Uh, you know, we got us. Well, you know, I kind of jumped over a scene where. No, well, I guess I'm getting into it now. He he he's stills this Hydra book that's kind of shown early on in the movie that has code words that basically brainwash Bucky. Uh, and he's, he's on a mission, man. He wants to know mission report, you know, 1991, he wants this exact date, uh, you know, and he basically takes over the role of the psychiatrist. We'll get to more of that later. You know, he kills the guy. Uh, he gets in the compound. He uses the brainwashed words from the book. And, you know, Bucky gets triggered. There he is again. And Zemo, uh, you know, obviously Bucky doesn't want to turn. He tries to bash his way out of there, but eventually it doesn't work. And all hell breaks loose in an intense scene with Bucky trying to get out of there and just, you know, this is the first time we ever see Tony really have to I mean, he fights a little in Iron Man 3 without a suit, but, guy, he almost dies here. Yeah, without just that little wrist thing that he gets from his watch. Real quick question here. Do you think we've seen the last of that book and the code words that, that make Bucky snap? I don't, I don't think we have. 
It's not just going to be smooth sailing from here on out with him. Something's got to happen in regards to to all of this with Zemo sticking around for um, Winter or Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, I don't know. It'll be. I can't wait to see if there's something that you know because he talks about being put in ice until he can they can figure out how to unbrainwash him. I will say this escape leads to the famous helicopter scene. Oh man! Later with with Cap just crush bringing it down um the fun the whole scene we'll talk about all that in more detail later on because both of you love that whole sequence me Uh, and tom hiddleston (laughs) yeah uh cap he assembles a team you know he's got he's got bucky he's got falcon he gets hawkeye and scarlet witch and of course the scene that was in credit scene from ant-man they've got ant-man and you know, by operating outside of authority, they they're basically they're all giving up. They're all going to be renegades. Iron Man, he knows too that he's got to form his own team. So he's talking with Natasha, and they both have an idea of someone they're going to recruit. Uh, and Tony goes and he visits New York to introduce us to Peter Parker, the very own Tom Holland. There he is. A fun scene. Oh, it's really fun. He's sitting there with Aunt May, uh, you know, goes into his room with, it's just uh, a great introduction into Spider-Man. And they didn't kill too much time on showing us for the thousandth time, Peter Parker being bit by a spider. I thought that was a great, I thought I liked the choice. We still haven't seen that story yet. I mean, eventually they're going to have to do something with it, I think. Well, we've seen it so I think they wanted to, I mean, we had already seen it kind of like we talked yeah. about. So maybe they just wanted to be like, hey, people get it. We kind of understand Spider-Man. Well, and, and, and Stark doesn't care. You know, no, all he knows is that, that you're, you know, something happened to you and now you have all these powers. Which what a noble, like he's talking when he says, um, you know, I could go play football, but I couldn't play before. So why should I play after? Wow. I don't know if I would have that much honor i'd be out there scoring touchdowns yeah um <laughs> i kind of that that whole liken me back to you know when in superman one with christopher reeve how you know the younger superman talks about how you know every time he touches a football he scores a touchdown every time you yeah. know and when you when you're blessed with super abilities you must be tempting to to go and and be the best there is yeah uh this sets up both teams meeting at the stuttgart airport in germany you've got team cap team tony and just a a fight scene that's all over the place with all sorts of things happening uh including spider-man showing off all of his skills ant-man showing off his ability to enlarge uh and he does that. I have to say, I think Paul Rudd steals the show in terms of comedy in the whole, from the moment he meets Steve Rogers to Giant Ant-Man, all of that. And when he's in Tony's, for me, he's one of the most enjoyable parts of that scene outside he, of Spider-Man. He is a lot funnier in this little segment of this movie, I think, than he is in all of Ant-Man 1. I think the bulk of our comedy Ant-Man 1 comes from Luis and the guys with him, not necessarily from Paul Rudd. Yeah. He you know, kills him. Although he, he, in this one, he, he is true, you know, in, in true form, I think. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Even later on when they're at the the raft, uh, the distractions enough where Cap and Bucky, they, they get to the Quinjet, which they're going to steal. Uh, but Black Widow's there and, and she lets them. And in fact, she stops Black Panther from stopping them. Uh, War Machine takes off. Tony take off. They're going to try to stop the Quinjet. Falcons in pursuit. Uh, you know, War Machine asks Vision for some help. Vision shoots his giant energy beam. Of course, he's on the ground attending to Scarlet Witch, who they've now, you know, kind of made up. Uh, Vision shoots his beam in the air. It hits War Machine as Falcon ducks out of the way. Neither Falcon or Tony can reach Rhodey in time. Falls to Why the doesn't air. Vision go and get him? You know, <laughs> I was, I've got a lot of problems with all, like, what is going on here? That, you know, he hits the earth. I will say a scene that I, I enjoy only because this is the, this is like if Cap had watched Bucky get his legs broke and someone who was on the opposing team walked up to ask how he was, Cap would throw the shield at him 100 miles per hour, <laughs> flip it around, and Tony blasts Falcon without any thought. Just <laughs> unbelievable. Just, you know. That's his bud. That's his, that's his Bucky, I guess. I mean, that's how I see that side of it. I don't know if he's necessarily blaming Falcon as much as he's just beside himself he's just angry he's got a little bit of a mean streak in this one what a sad moment though when he's like i'm flying dead stick and just floating i thought are they killing off war machine the first time i ever watched it you know in the in the trailer it kind of leads you to think that though yeah because he's on the ground yeah um you know iron man however he sees evidence that bucky was in fact framed and he travels to what's called the raft, and it's just like this incredible. I wonder if this is the last we've seen of the raft. It's just this remote Arctic prison where everyone from Team Cap who got captured at the airport is, you know, they're under surveillance, they're locked away. It's like a black ops prison. Tony goes there, he puts a temporary block on the audio surveillance. This is after Hawkeye just bashes him. <laughs> you know, he calls him the futurist and uh, is, is of note. Robert Downey Jr. has released an album as a musician, and the title of said album is The Futurist. So I don't know if this was intentional, if the writers were having a little fun, but it's some great acting by Renner when he's going at him. And then it immediately switches to comedy when Ant Man says his line. But eventually, Tony gets the location from falcon and i gotta say when he gets you know he walks away tells ross he didn't hear anything how he suits up in this one might be one of my favorite suit up moments i didn't yeah, see- kind of falls back reclines into the helicopter and, and fires out the back i did yeah. just great stuff he's gonna head to uh, siberia to meet up with cap and bucky yeah you know you got um you see a little bit of more of that Wakanda technology with uh, T'Challa following him, you know, on the way. Yeah, completely, um, yeah, shielded. Like it looked like the invisible jet. Um, once you know Tony arrives, he finds Bucky and Cap. You know, he says he's there as a friend. He's going to help, and they find Zemo. He's behind like this indestructible glass. Which, let's be honest, 
like Tony says, he could have, you know, blasted through it eventually. But Zemo reveals his real plan. It's not to wake up all the other super soldiers that are there. He's already killed them all. It's to show, uh, you know, this mission report that we keep hearing about. And on a little bitty screen, we get to see that that opening sequence of Bucky is, in fact, him killing Howard and Maria Stark, viciously killing them. Wow, when they show that scene. Yeah. Going back here real quick to the, the super soldiers, one of those super soldiers to me looked like the one of the, uh, it looked like the upcoming villain, or I, I say he's a villain, in the, the Black Widow movie. There's a real resemblance with the big beard. And did you get oh, that? Okay. I mean, kind of look, I, I get to see what you're saying. It's, it's, um, you're talking about Hopper from Stranger Things. David Harbour plays the bearded guy that's some type of Soviet something. Um, that Black Widow apparently takes place in between this and, or takes place like between this moment and infinity war but i i see he kind of looks like him yeah I mean, it was very much a resemblance there and i thought i saw you know i felt like this guy in the new black widow movie wears almost like a captain america type uniform so but, they, yeah you know, but like was, like a russian version yeah, yeah. right and it was like a super soldier kind of theme i guess i I don't know. Sorry to to. I, I was I've been wondering that since we watched it the other night. If we ever get to watch Black Widow, thirty bucks, man, Disney <laughs> Plus. Uh, of course, Tony sees this footage and he's irate, and it leads to a battle between Tony and Bucky and Steve. Just you know, arms are being blasted off. Stuff stuff's being crushed on the suit. Cap's being knocked down. He's bleeding. Uh, eventually, the two of them take Tony down. Cap crushes the arc reactor, and it looks as if he's about to kill him. He doesn't. He just shoves the shield into it. Uh, he picks up the shield to leave. Tony insists that he doesn't deserve to have it, so Steve drops it. Zemo outside listens to a voicemail that was left from his family, which is the a genesis of why he did all this in Sokovia. Uh, he deletes the voicemail, and before he can kill himself, boom, Black Panther stops it and gives him a speech about how revenge has ripped him apart, it's ripping the Avengers apart, and he's going to, you know, he's going to arrest him. Uh, we flash. Tony's helping Rhodes with his recovery. He's giving him robotic legs. We get a great Stan Lee cameo with Tony Stank. Um, <laughs> We get to see that a package arrives for Tony with a flip phone with a very elegant, just a beautiful letter written by Steve Rogers. Written. And Steve breaks the heroes out of the island prison. Uh, they go to Wakanda where T'Challa has given them asylum. Uh, Bucky wants to be put back in cryo sleep until they can find out a cure for his brainwashing so that no one can manipulate him. Uh, Peter, he's recovering from his injuries at home. Tries out a new version of a web shooter that Tony gave him. He projects the spotty signal onto the ceiling. End this whole movie that includes, uh, I believe, in credit scenes. Five favorite scenes. Give me one of yours. Well, let's just start off with the, you know, cap in that helicopter. I mean, you know, I don't know how they shot that. 
you know, they're, they're, Chris Evans and, and the way, I mean, you literally believe that he is keeping that helicopter from flying. And when he does the curl, I mean, my stars, what a, what a flex as the kids would say. What a, what a moment. And literal flex. Um, well, I'm going to go with when we first Bucky and Cap escaping from the German forces with Black Panther, that whole chase, they take down like 20, like very highly trained German tactical soldiers within like an instant to get out of there. That's a, that's a good one. I think I've, I've got a similar thing where it continues on onto the road race. I call it a road race because it was, you know, uh, Bucky's running, Cap's going after him. Here comes Black Panther. I mean, here are all these cars, you know, stuff's blowing up left and right. It's it's just fabulous. The next one I have is when Bucky escapes after being turned back into basically the Winter Soldier and Zemo starts reading the words like homecoming, what all the different terms, whatever they are. Yeah. And He's like bashing the glass, bash, and then you know the fighting between everyone that's trying to stop him. Tony, luckily wearing that wristwatch thing to stop the bullet. Just that whole getaway sequence that leads to the the helicopter that you've discussed. It's just brilliantly done, fun action pace. I'm gonna go a little change of pace here and go to the the funeral scene for Peggy Carter, and you never, you know. You see Steve Rogers with a very human side, but I don't think you ever see him get emotional. Yeah. And that funeral scene, you boy, you see it, you know. And especially uh, the speech. I mean, the speech she gives and the eulogy she gives, I think it sways Steve's decision on not to sign. Yeah. And he's just stunned that, you know, Agent 13 is you know, Peggy's niece. So it's a good scene and it's a nice change of pace for all the the craziness. And and by the way, all of yours are, would have been mine too, you know, ah. maybe a few changes, but um, especially if, if you go to the next one, I think you're going to. Uh, so yeah, my next one, I'm going with Tony meeting Peter Parker He's there with Aunt May. Just, you know, Tony's, he's, he, at least this shows, it shows me the Tony that is there through every other movie as far, as far as his charm and his, his wit and all the fun with that. But it's the only little bit of that we see with him yes. in this movie. The and only it, time where he kind of reverts back to that Tony Stark mode. And it's fun to see. It's fun to, I think, the quotes by, um, by Tom Holland, Peter Parker, in regards to why he is a superhero, why he's doing what he's doing, um, is fan is just fan. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, my next one, I I enjoyed the. It may have been short and kind of silly at times, but the where Vision wander, you know in the kitchen just you know superheroes have to eat too right and right you know, they're cooking and talking about paprika and it's just different things that you know robot he's a smart man because that's a good move to, to pull on a woman 
with with a, a movie that's so intense, some of these more light moments are just they're good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, Airport fight is I mean, that's when I saw in the trailer them lined up against each other, I thought, how is this how's this gonna go? I mean you've got you got one side that has what three people who can fly. You've got the other side's got you know it's just it's just we've we've got to know all these characters besides really two of them that got introduced in this one movie. But it's like here we go the big battle scene. What you would assume yeah. might have been the climax until you actually watch the movie. Um, you know, as I said, it, it's a really good scene. Um, you know, I. The, the lightheartedness, and I appreciate the lightheartedness for sure. Um, I don't know. I just. And it, it would have um, it would have been one of my favorites, too. So. Um, it's fun. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> What's your last one? Um, you know, I, I go back to. Hawkeye's um, introduction into the movie because at that point I didn't really think he I didn't know he was going to be in it so it's kind of a surprise when he shows up and then you know it, it was fun just how he you know starts shooting those arrows and you know Vision runs into that little trip trip wire thing that yeah. he set up I, I just the continuing relationship with Hawkeye and Wanda um, that we started in uh, Age of Ultron, that was nice, too. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good way to bring him into the fold for the movie. My last one, the 2v1 fight at the end. Um, how they shot basically the last 30 seconds of it where it's the two of them standing over him and he's firing, they're throwing the shield back and forth. Just that moment is... I. One of, it's the biggest takeaway for me in, in when it comes to this movie is just that moment of those, you know, our, our guys are at each other's throats. Yep, it's just very iconic. I mean, and tough, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, quotes into some of our favorite quotes. We've briefly touched on them. Give me one of yours. I'm not thinking that thing. And then Sam is what Romanoff says. And Sam says his name is Red Wing. Gee, he—he's like you're, you know. He's—he loves it. Clearly, he likes it. Like it's a pet. Yeah, I've got Iron Man. You know, he sees Scott transform in the middle of that battle into Giant Man, and he goes in a very sarcastic Tony voice. Okay, anybody on our side hiding any shocking and fantastic <laughs> abilities they'd like to disclose? I'm open to suggestions. It's just a—it's a very Tony quote. Yeah, that. And in a movie where we don't have a lot of those, you know, normally we're, we're chock full of them, but in this one, you know, they're kind of few and far between. Um, Steve Rogers, where he says this job, we try to save as many people as we can. Sometimes that doesn't mean everybody, but if we can find a way to live with that next time, maybe nobody gets saved. Yeah. Um, you know, very telling um think about your own job you know that's you're trying to to help as as many kids as you can 
but it doesn't mean you can help everybody, you know? And, and if you can't find a way to live with that, you might not help anyone. Right. You know, the substitute superhero for school teacher or pastor or, you know, community leader. Just, I think it applies universally there. It really hit me there. So, that is a great one. It really shows where his head's at. I've got Falcon gets trapped by Spider Man in the webbing. And, you know, Spider Man's <laughs> sitting there talking to him, blah, 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 which it's also fun when Spider Man goes, Whoa, you got a metal arm. Just shows how strong he is. But, <laughs> Sam goes, I don't know if you've been in a fight before, but there's usually not this much talking. And, you know, Spider-Man's like, oh, sorry, my bad. Like, what a kid. He's definitely a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. there, And it's not one of my favorites from what he, you know, the moment where he um, shoots his web, web slingers onto Iron Man in his room. That was funny, too. Oh, yeah. Um so I'm going to go with uh, Falcon uh, where he says, you know, the people that shoot at you, you being cap usually end up shooting at me, you know, pretty, yes. pretty good, honest statement there from Sam. Again, how loyal is he? I, I'm going to pivot on one that I have listed, but I, I got reminded of another one while we were talking about, but it is the eulogy. I think it's a, essential to the plot of the movie. She says compromise where you can and where you, where you can't don't even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right even if the whole world is telling you to move it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree look them in the eye and say no you move it's it's exactly what steve's doing and it was from the woman his one love it's of course it was going to go the way it did yeah uh, I've forgotten about that one, but that that is a good one. Uh, you know, one of the few references uh, with Spider-Man and Cap, you know, when um, they have a little bit of a battle there, and Cap Cap says, "You got heart, kid. Where are you from? Queens." Cap kind of taps his chest, Brooklyn. You know, that's... <laughs> it is a nice connection there. Um, I've got another Spider-Man one where he says, Hey guys, you ever see that really old movie empire strikes back and how he explains star Wars and the snow planet and taking down the walkers <laughs> for a star Wars geek like me was fun. My yeah. last, my last quote though is, you know, you know, Steve says, Tony, he's my friend. And, and how the way Tony says, so was I is, uh, crushing it's heartbreaking you know in the trailer they have it um the the inflection and the tone and tony's voice is different than the way he says it in the movie yeah i don't know if you've ever noticed that but in the in the trailer he was like so was i like it was a question yeah but in the movie he's like so was i like with a very very much a lot of anger behind it yeah, I mean, yeah, he kind of feels, he feels a little bit trail, but I mean, I don't know what he's thinking. It, this is Steve's lifetime best friend. Yeah, it, it you know, often you know what you see in the trailer, you might get a little different version in the movie anyway. Yeah. So, um, you know, they they re record those different ways for uh, inflection and for you know effect and all that. So. 
Um, but that was one thing I noticed for the first time I watched. I was like, you know, because yeah, it's, as as we'll find out later, I've seen the trailer quite a bit, and um, just it's just very different the way he says it. Yep. And in the in the trailer, he sounds like he's very hurt, and in in the movie, it sounds like he's just pissed. Yeah. Doctor Strange, what if universe? Casting possibilities, only a few here because we only had really two big new additions. Uh, Jaiman Hansu, who is in Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel as Karath, had originally been thought of to be someone to play Black Panther when they had discussions to introduce Black Panther earlier into the MCU, along with Anthony Mackie. Would have been a completely different universe in regards to had they introduced the character earlier on in the MCU. Jimon Hintz, who I just can't see. I just, it's, it's, yeah. Anthony Mackie, I'm I'm down with that one. He he would have probably done a good job. I guess why I can see the Jimon Hansu is because he is from Africa uh, originally, or from I think uh, Nigeria, possibly. Anyway. And it's Wakanda is an African nation type thing, uh, but yeah, Anthony Mackie for sure. I could he's we already talked about how good an actor he is. You know, I'm surprised isn't on that list is is the guy who ends up being the the villain in Black Panther, Michael B. Jordan. Right, I think he would have done a good job. Yeah, oh, yeah, it would have been yeah because he does. We'll get into him for sure when we get to that movie. And then for Spider Man, you have Timothy Chalamet, who's turned into a huge star. Uh, been in uh, different types of movies. You have Asa Butterfield from uh, Sex Education on Netflix. You've got a lot of different young men that they tried and they screen tested and they put through a lot of stuff as Spider-Man, but ultimately we got Tom Holland and I love that we got Tom Holland. I love Chalamet, but I can't see him in this role. It's really hard because, you know, Spider-Man is supposed to be a teenager for a lot of these stories. Now, you know, that's the thing, though. You know, Spider-Man has to grow up. So, you know, we're having 34-year-old Tobey Maguire playing, you know, 20-year-old Spider-Man. It was, you know, kind yeah. of a tough sell there at the end. I don't think we're going to have that problem with Tom Holland for quite a while. Nope. On to Tony Stark questions corner. The why, the what doesn't make sense. All those different things. Plot holes. Why are the Avengers the bad guys? I mean... Like, I get Sokovia. That mean Tony dropped the ball there. But New York? Why does he show New York? Yeah, Loki came, but it wasn't because of them necessarily. And if they don't do anything, New York, it, Loki rules the world. There is no government. There is no UN. Yeah, I. It, they could have maybe found another way to get to the Sokovia Accords. I don't know. I... I question the same thing. I kind of feel like they were betrayed almost. Yeah. You know, I just, it's, it's baffling. Another thing, why is vision not in Lagos? Like, does he stay back? Does it, are they on this rotation where like one person has to stay at the compound? I feel like he would have really helped in that mission. You would like to think, but did he help at all from here on out? Infinity stone in his head. Maybe he was too busy cooking. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What's one of yours? Um, you know, there, there's that one scene where um, Tony's talking about, I think it was Tony, um, 
having a a guy to go get who ended up being Spider-Man. And then Black Widow mentions that she had someone who knew where Cap was. Who was her inside source? Was it Sharon Carter? You know? Is it you have to go back and watch, but she says that she has a source who knows where Cap is. Is it Fury? I don't know. We never really reveal it. I mean, it could have been him. I don't know. That's the other thing. Where's Fury at during all this? Um, yeah. Mine is... All right, so what is Zemo's backup plan for literally anything? His plan is so contingent on so many variables that go so perfectly. I don't know how he pivots on anything. It's, it's, I guess it's just one of those comic book villain, like it's going to all play out right. Yeah. Well, that's usually how it is. You know, there's... I'm I'm a guy who has a backup plan for the backup plan. I I plan for the worst, you know, hope for the best type thing, and he's just like, yeah, I got this, man. I've been doing, I've planned this for like a year, and I'm good. Yeah, which, you know, the grand scheme of things isn't very long. No, you know? not for everything he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, why does the Sharon Carter thing never pan out? I don't know. You know? That. that I guess it's so they can build in something with Peggy later on, but it, it's just, which, would it be weird for him to have a romance with the niece of the woman he loved? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. No, either. Um, I'm just going straight to it. Instead of trying to stop them from getting to the Quinjet, why don't you just blow up the Quinjet? <laughs> they can't go anywhere. Baffling to me. Except it was their Quinjet. You it's, know? It's Tony's Quinjet, I know, but he can build another Quinjet. <laughs> that was their... Yeah. Uh, or it's shown in, uh, you know, the Ragnarok that Tony can encrypt and, like, lock people out. I don't know. I just... That didn't... That didn't make a lot of sense. We'll move on so we can get into some of our favorite parts. Um, you know, we've got the Hall of Fame. We've got Infinity Rank yet to come. But let's go into the snap. What would you snap from this film? I'm snapping Rumlo. You know, <sighs> they they really work hard. And nobody knows. Nobody remembers him from... <laughs> I'm sure most of your casual fans are like, well, don't make the connection. Maybe even my dad, uh, you know, may not remember him from winter soldier. You had to be a real nerd like you and I to get the connection from winter soldier to there. And, and even none of them are going to know that he's crossbones. All they're going to know him is Rumlo. So right. I'm snapping Rumlo and I'm snapping Everett Ross. And why do they choose his name to be Ross? I mean, there's too many Rosses, and I, you know, I, I don't know. That's that one's just yeah. You've got two Rosses that are high government officials. It's insane. I didn't put in the notes. My snap. I'm snapping that Cap has to. Fight with Bucky to fight Tony. Just let the two of them duke out. Why you got to step in? They're two grown men. Let them have at it. 
It's between the the beef at the end is between Tony and Bucky. Okay. So like a, let them let them hockey fight it out. And... Yeah, let them hockey fight it out. Maybe you know they're both one's a super soldier. One, I mean, just just let the chips fall. And instead, he interview like it. If maybe it's just he didn't really see Tony as a real friend. Because if I had two friends, I've had this happen growing up. Two friends, you just let them have at it, and eventually yeah. it works itself out. I guess they're not trying to kill each other, but that I, I would have, I would have liked to have seen some version. But I understood they had to include Cap in it because it's that's their battle. Hmm. You know, the tension has been building for so many movies now. Cap and Tony, they had to have this moment. You know, yeah. for even from the first Avengers, he's like, put on the suit, you know, let's do it. Let's go a few rounds. Um, they had to have those two fight out. Now, what's interesting is Tony holds his own better against both of them. And then when, you know, he rips off Bucky's metal arm and Cap just goes ballistic on him and is just killing him. And then he has Friday analyze his fight pattern and, then, and you know he almost and, he could have killed him had bucky not swept the leg there right at the end yeah i mean um and then you know cap gets on top of him, him and just starts yeah. you know could have killed him and you know man when he jams that shield into him whew, Ooh, oh yeah I'm Man. also just going to snap anything to do with vision. Where did his power go? Unbelievable. <laughs> it's just, I, I never understand why they even introduce him into the universe. Oh, man. Villains Hall of Fame. Oh, man. I'll let you go first since I feel like you're very low on this one. Well, I feel like his plot and his motivations are quite cryptic and, you know, you almost in a very general Zod way kind of feel sorry for him a little bit. You understand why he's mad and, you know, and I don't really find anything wrong with the performance that our guy, our our guy did. If we were assuming that the villain is indeed, um, Oh, what's his name? Zemo. Zemo, yeah. If he if he's our villain, um, I've got him ranked at number eighteen. Wow. Um, you know, and it's just because while he is quote the villain, I feel kind of like the other villain in this is Tony Stark, and you know the uh, chords and all that stuff that's working against my man Cap. So, but I couldn't, I couldn't go that route for our villains hall of fame. Right. Cause he's not, Tony Stark's not a villain, but he is the villain in this film. And thus I went with Tony Stark and Baron Zemo, a joint effort number six. And I'm going to explain my why in that. So I'll talk about Zemo first. And when you really dissect his plan, has there been anyone outside the anyone in the MCU outside of Thanos that completed their task so perfectly? Like what he envisioned, what he wanted to do, what his plan was, it's essentially flawless. He has a quote about crushing an empire from within. 
And it's exactly what he does. He gets caught, but like he says, Ross, like, did I fail? He did exactly what he set out to do in the most unbelievable way. I can't think of any other villain that did their plan better other than Thanos. But on the flip side of that, let's go with Tony. He is a hero, but in this movie, and I see his, I see his point of view. I understand the benefit of oversight. No matter who you are, uh, you, you have to be kept in check. You know, there's got to be some accountability there's in some capacity. Accidents or not, like someone has to be liable. I keep going back to that. Like someone has to be liable for the damages, even if they're accidents, because in our current U.S. system, Accidents are punishable due to negligence or, you know, Maximoff, she killed people, even though it was in this accident, it's vicarious criminal liability. So like Tony gets that side of it and he wants to save the world, but on whatever the world's terms, but here's the thing. He's a villain because he drives a stake through the Avengers heart and he opens the door to let Thanos walk through. He did exactly what Zemo knew he would do. And that ultimately led to him making all these poor choices. And listen, I understand, I've never been in a situation where someone showed me a video of someone that killed my family and they're sitting right there. Mm. But if he doesn't, just think if that one moment, if he doesn't lose his mind and fight them both, if he stays logical, then Zemo fails and he doesn't. So he fights them both. They're split, and they never recover until post-snap world. Tony, number six. Yeah, I I just couldn't – I mean, that's a great take. Um, I just couldn't go there. I couldn't – I didn't have the guts enough to to label him as the villain in this movie. It was tough for me. I mean, he's my guy. He's your guy. And But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things – all the way from Ultron to this, I mean, Ultron was his fault. Like that whole thing set up where we're at in this one and and his paranoia and control freak mentality and just, he's, it's obvious that they went this direction and how they ended with him being the guy when we get to Endgame, but just, he's a bad dude in this. I'm going to, I'm going to stand by, you know, mine on on just the the Zemo part of it um I think Tony is a is a, a villain so to speak but I just I can't go that far I just can't I can't do it yeah that, <laughs> so, it, I mean it took I told you early on I was like it's you all have a hot take on this one and I hey went, I like it went that direction like uh, infinity rank where do you rank this in the 23 so it's hard, you know. Um, as I told you, the the first time I watched it, I was kind of like, "Ooh, I don't know," you know. But the more and more I've rewatched it, the more and more I, I really believe this is the number four ranked movie in the gauntlet. Wow, um, I you know, for years I've been in denial about this movie and about the things I didn't like about it. And I think it was mostly built on my bias because of how it portrays Tony. So I put my bias aside on this rewatch and I had to do some shuffling because originally I had this at nine 
and I rewatched it, and I thought this is an incredible movie. That you talk about rewatchability, you talk about plot devices, you talk about character development, all these things. I have this also at four. Which, How about that? Which bumps Iron Man to five, and it bumps Guardians back to six. It's just so well done with so many themes and so many just things that pull on your heartstrings and make you have to, you have to make a choice. It's like you said, you had to choose a side. You couldn't just be in the middle on for every character. Like what are the motivations behind black Panther to Peter Parker to, to, you know, to all these other, to everyone within it, even to Natasha flipping sides. It's incredibly well done. A great finish. And you were rooting for cap all along. You know it. (laughs) I was, you know, I mean, spoiler alert for our listeners who might read the book, you know, I think eventually what Cap, Cap, uh, he, he turns himself in and, and, and that doesn't really sign, but he finally gives up on the battle. But, you know, I like well, this ending better. I like this, the letter, the whole letter thing. What an ending. Yeah. You know, the, the great thing is there's always redemption though. And, I think we can both say that Stark gets his, oh, you yeah. know, so. And this set up beautifully their exchange when they see each other in Endgame. Yeah. So I have it. A little kiss and make up. Yeah. So I have it at number four. Um, thoughts from our wives. My my wife enjoyed the action sequences and, you know, she's a little confused at why they're all fighting each other because of, you know some of the attend the little attention she's paid throughout some of them but uh I, she enjoyed uh i think she like me enjoyed the infighting because it's such a, a unique twist so my wife did not enjoy the infighting that I was just not that. something that she um really appreciated she was very negative on tony though um you know she blames Tony for a lot of the problems that the Avengers have in this movie. And he has no right to be mad at anybody, but himself, including the accident with Rhodey. That was his fault. Um, she thinks that he places the blame everywhere except for where it should be. Um, she sympathizes with cap and this isn't home cooking here. I mean, this is her true opinion, not based on, on what I think. Um, so, and you know the 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 action galore sequences of the Russo brothers aren't isn't going to impress her much. So um, it's not her favorite of the bunch. Um, it's tough to watch for the infighting, and uh, I think we're ha- she's happy to move on to the next one. <laughs> uh, trailer. Interesting note uh, by you on the trailer. Well, so yeah. Um, the 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 what i would call the main trailer i don't know if it was the teaser or whatever it was but you know the anymore they release these trailers um with used to be you go had to go see the big movie in in the theater to see the trailer releases well now they they just drop them online well i remember um it was during thanksgiving week of 2015 um and uh, you know we get into that Thanksgiving Christmas time. I start not being able to sleep because I'm like, Oh boy, am I going to have enough money to buy all the kids gifts that we need and all that stuff. And I remember being up at three or four in the morning trying to get my work done. And, and 
I'd remember that the new trailer had dropped for Captain America and I got not gotten to see it because we'd had company over and man, I, I must've watched that thing like 10 times. It had really, really dramatic music to it. Um, I, I might go back and watch it when we get done with this podcast. Um, it's just really good. Really fine. Well done trailer. Uh, I just remembered when I first saw them lining up against each other, thinking this is going to be the most, this is going to be unlike any real other superhero movie I've really watched with, you know, outside of like DC animated universe, there's some versions of this, but of just your good guys fighting each other. Yeah. Uh, any ultimate letdowns, you know, um, it's tough watching two heroes fight each other. And I think the first time I saw it, I think I was let down by the fact that, you know, Stark kind of turned on Cap or Cap turned on Stark like it did, you know? It just, it stinks seeing people that should be working together fighting each other. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, and, you know, but that that's the road we go down. That's the, the power of the movie. You know, that's the whole reason the movie exists is for those two to do that. And um, so I don't know if you call that a letdown, but um, it might get you down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, my ultimate letdown is going to have to be that my guy, Tony, gets portrayed so poorly, but I understand why they did it. I, I understand the wise within that. But after, I think my, my, but the biggest letdown is if anyone who reads the graphic novel of, I wonder what that looks like as a movie, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know it doesn't yeah. fit in this universe space, but what if that, if we, you had gotten that as a complete movie, it's, it's, I know it's, it, it would have to have a budget of, of a billion dollars, but it, it'd just be interesting to see that take place on screen. You know, I, I I was thinking about, you know, we were talking about the airport scene and, um, you know, how do they top that with all these heroes in one scene? And then, you know, Avengers Endgame is like, hold my beer, you know? Oh, yeah. And and watch this. You know, it's it's a, it's quite an undertaking. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, sometimes those kind of things can get bogged down. You know, there's it's kind of like in, uh, in basketball when you have, uh, this dream team filled of superstars that, you know, there's still only one ball, you know, and everybody has to share it. And if you have to share it enough, it, it bogs down everybody's star power. And then maybe it's not such a big deal after all. And civil war in game infinity war, they all keep, you know, they, they handle that load of, superstars so well you know and so i'm not sure where i was going with that but um we'll just go with it (laughs) uh my my final thought on this film is just what a change of tone and a different direction you had to go but what a great job setting up everything else um but that takes us into going following up with some of these new origin origin stories. So next up we have 2018's Black Panther 
starring Chadwick Boseman, starring Michael B. Jordan as our villain Killmonger. Um, you get a call. You get to introduce everything from the from Wakanda. And this is the first, like I said earlier, first movie from MCU to get nominated for a Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. I'm Luke Shoemaker. He's Graham Thomas. Thank you. Team for Cap, baby. Team Iron Man. Thank you for listening to the MCU Gauntlet. And she said, "Compromise where you can, but where you can't." Don't. Even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right, even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye, and say no. You move. <laughs>